This is the Scott Bradley Show podcast. All right, it is Friday. It is time to introduce, to bring together the brightest panel in Hamilton Radio. Now, half of it today, what I like to do every once in a while, a couple times over the course of the summer, I like to get Luke on here. So Luke is joining us tonight, but he's currently tied up with a few phone calls. We actually do have some calls coming in on this one. Well done, folks. I mean, assuming you're getting it right, well done. If you're not getting it right, then, you know, I'll congratulate you when you get the answer correct. But if you are on hold, if you're ringing, let it ring. Luke will get to you as quickly as he can. But Luke will be joining us in just a second once the line's clear. And joining him, a, a, a guy who, man, he's a, well, I would say he's a regular on the show, but he appears to have been lost in the wilderness for most of the summertime. He, he disappeared into the ether and has now reemerged. Mm-hmm. The best hair in radio in Hamilton. Mike Fortune. I'm back. Hey, Scott, thanks for having me. You hey. know what? I am back. I am relaxed. What I were you am doing? Refreshed. Uh, what wasn't I doing? The family and I, it was a little bit of cottage here, a little bit of cottage there, a little bit of more cottage. It was just a lot of relaxing, a lot of barbecuing. Quality family time, my friend, watching the Jays, sitting by the dock. And doing a little bit of sports on cable 14 Do it, as well. Yes, yes, that is right. She see, it's been so long. I'm, my mind's still in vacation mode, I guess. Covering the Hamilton Cardinals of the International or Intercounty Baseball League with Steve Clark. It was an absolute thrill. I hope next year more fans get out. It is some great, great baseball uh, for these young kids and older guys to come up and play. It was so much fun. That might be the first time anybody's ever described the Hamilton Cardinals as good baseball. Hey, yeah, <laughs> it, 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 it was good to be at the park, Luke. It there was you good, go, yeah. and I'm not so. Uh, and let me let me maybe rephrase it. It was it was good to see other teams come in who played oh, well. How about that? The London Majors, that, the Barry Bay Cats, you know, the Panthers. <laughs> By the way, before we get into the first topic uh, that we want to chew on here uh, around the panel, let me uh, we're talking baseball let me give you a little bit of breaking news, news here yeah i just saw it too yeah the I toronto blue jays have made a trade acquiring dioner navarro that is awesome dioner navarro couldn't wait to get out of town in the off season because he wanted to go get the money and get the playing <laughs> time with chicago and now i guess the white Sox have said yeah you know what nah go back to toronto it makes sense sit behind russ martin again it makes a lot of sense it to- makes a lot of sense totally's gonna be off the roster along with dickie you got navarro sitting there with martin now what a platoon that oh, is no, it's, it's phenomenal it's, it makes all kinds of sense i just yep. think it's kind of funny that yeah i would have loved to have been in the manager's office when they called Deonor Navarro in to say, hey, uh, guess what? <laughs> <laughs> that, that would have been a, a, a chat that you probably should have videotaped and put online to, uh, to see the look on his face. Uh, while we're talking baseball, talking sports, let, let's start with there because we are now uh, closing in on a week since the Olympics ended, which probably is enough time that the buzz over everything that happened can settle down a bit and we can get to a little more of an objective, dispassionate view of Olympics and Olympic athletes and all that kind of stuff. Because uh, you know what? Sunday night, Monday, Tuesday, everybody was still buzzing about the medals and the great performances and all those kind of things. And I mean, even today, Canada's national women's soccer team uh, was slotted in now as the fourth team in the uh, FIFA women's rankings, which is the highest ever. And I believe that is 694 spots higher than the men's team in Canada. I don't even think there's, there's only 200 and something countries in the world. We are now ranked so far down. There are other planets that have better (laughs) soccer team rankings than our men's team. But so here's the question, Mike, and I'll start with you on this one. A week later, now that, as I say, that things have settled down, that you can think about this. How much money should should Canadians, how much money should we as a country 
be spending on amateur athletics and Olympic athletes to have that great feeling once every two years? I don't know what the current amount is right now. Um, you know, I like how businesses and corporations get behind the athletes and, and, and do everything they can for them. You know what? It is amateur sports. I don't know how much more they should get paid. The whole idea of it being an amateur is, you know, you still got to get up at your 3, 4 in the morning, do all your training. You got to go to work. Then you got to come back and do some more training. You know, if you want to get some more sponsors on board, that's great. I don't know if the government should be forking out more money left, right, and center for it. It's it's fun to watch for two weeks, every two years, every two years for the winter as well. I don't think you need to go crazy like some of the other countries do. I don't see it being very necessary. I think there are other things that this country needs to worry about than amateur athletics. Um, so if, would you cut back the amount we spend that? I think it's $118 million we spend on amateur athletics on these. And that doesn't mean, you know, all the kids' sports that are, we're talking about elite athletes who are not talking ping pong here no no we may (laughs) be but i'm saying we're not talking about like kids soccer (laughs) leagues and stuff when i say amateur athletics it's folks who are elite athletes who are preparing to compete on the world stage no i i think these elite athletes if if they want to continue on if they want to do well um the sponsors will come out and support them in regards to uh, the dollar amount you just threw out there scott i think that is a comfortable level um, again, like I said, there are more things to worry about in this country right now than how far you can throw a big metal ball and how far you can jump out over a, a, a piece of wood. Except that every two years, in past anyway, when we have not spent that money and our guys who throw that metal ball and jump off that piece of wood don't perform, we pull out our hair and we get completely antsy because we say, why do we stink at this stuff? We should be better. We need to start winning some stuff. You've obviously pulled out a lot more hair over it than <laughs> I, I have. have. Well, it, it, it truly it truly does not bother me. I don't care if we go out there and win 22 medals or if we only win one. Really? I It does not bother me when I don't lose sleep over it. I couldn't care less. I have my certain sports that I enjoy. I just enjoy a, a good competition. And as long as I know that they are doing their best with what they currently have, then that's fine. But I do not lose sleep over. I know what kind of a country we are. I know what kind of a country we live in. I like the gamesmanship. I like the sportsmanship of the Olympics. If you win, hey, it's a bonus. Yes, it's great hearing our national anthem and you see the tears and you feel for them. But if they didn't win one, I would not have been bothered one iota. Luke, do you share that? If we didn't win a medal or if we won one or two medals, would you be okay with that? No, um... But I'm more okay with it in the Summer Olympics. I I love when Canada succeeds at the Summer Olympics, but I also don't care that deeply when we fail at the Summer Olympics because it's not really our thing. The way, I think if we had terrible Winter Olympics, as we have had in the, in the further past, I would care more. But I think what we need to do with the money is more focus it. What I noticed a lot at the, at the Summer Games is that, you know, it's, it's always impressive just to get there. That everybody always says that, but maybe we shouldn't be spending the same amount of money on someone who's going to go there and finish a hundredth as we are on the person who has a chance to finish first. It may seem harsh to that person because they are still an Olympic athlete. They're still elite in their sport, but shouldn't we be trying more for spending the money more on the Andre de Grasses, who is already getting a lot of money, but maybe people like 
him who might not have the money or the sponsorship deals to get there rather than the marathon runners who are nowhere close. Except that to by that token, I mean, I, okay, I hear what you're saying, except as you say, Andre DeGrasse has a lot of sponsorships, a lot of sponsors. A lot of these people have sponsors. You look at someone like Rosie McClellan, who's won back-to-back trampoline golds. Trampoline is not a sport. Now, we can debate all day about trampoline as an Olympic sport. But that's not something that you're going to find. You, It's a sport that is basically anonymous, except during the Olympics, and you're not going to have sponsors for that. So if you don't fork the money out for people like that, you don't win medals in those sports. Mm-hmm. And you, you want to know a secret about Canadian Olympic performance? We're awesome at the sports that no one else plays. <laughs> Every time a new sport is introduced into the Olympics, we kick butt. Remember, well, you wouldn't remember, Luke, you're too young. <laughs> um Mike, you probably remember this. Back in 92 or 96, whenever it was that synchronized swimming was introduced, yeah, 88 sure maybe. Do. Man, for the first couple of years of synchronized swimming, we owned it. Carolyn Waldo and Sylvie Frechette and all these. And then the rest of the world said, maybe we'll try synchronized swimming. And I don't think we've won a medal in no. like 20 years. So you have to put the money. Luke is right. But I think Luke is right in the sense you put the money at targets. But I think you're wrong at where you put it. You don't put it at the Andre de Grasses. No, no, I, you put it at the stuff that nobody gets the money. But I mean, I, I don't, I just, I don't like the idea of spending money on equestrian. I think it's silly that equestrian is in the Olympics in the first place, and I don't like the idea that Eric Lamaze, a guy who is doing quite fine on his own. Uh, gets the same amount of money that the amateur who, like a Rosie McClellan, before she won that gold medal. She has the sponsors now, but how many sponsors did she have before she won that gold medal? And Eric Lamaze has the whole breathing thing to fall back on. (laughs) Oh, sorry, that's a different (laughs) Lamaze. You know, uh, kind of on Luke's point, I'm just going to go a different angle here just a little bit. You know, it's been talked about that Canada sends too many Olympians to the Olympics. They they make it again with all due respect to Olympians. I you know I'm I'm nowhere near that uh, threshold. But if you didn't if if you made the qualifiers tougher, you know just because you come in fifteenth or sixteenth, you technically still might qualify to be an Olympian. If you made that a little bit more difficult, or and then you bring in less Olympians, and then you pull that 118 million to. 150 athletes as opposed to, I forget what the number was we brought out. So maybe you cut it in half. And then you have, you know, you have 150 of the best, the absolute best throughout Canada competing. And you know that you are in a shot for a medal in almost everything you do. Right now, you have a lot of Olympians who they've qualified, but you know they are going to be nowhere near the podium. They're there for the the life experience, to, to walk into the stadium and all that stuff. But we win medals. We have surprises. People who you would have never guessed who were going to win but, who pop up. But not surprises like they were expected to finish 50th and they've won a medal. It's like they were ranked 10th and they got a medal. So are, the you guys then, are you guys then taking the position that we should look at the world competition and if our, if our athlete really has no chance, leave him home? Leave him home. I don't know leave him home, just spend less money on him. Well, but if you're going to spend less the money, <laughs> if you're going to spend less money on them, they're going to finish further and further back in the pack. So then you would have to just leave them home. Right, I mean, but I mean, here's if an example: can, if they can qualify at the back of the pack on their own merits, then that's fine. But I don't think we should be spending excess money on on them if their ceiling is fiftieth. Here, here's the example: there was the Canadian woman whose name I'm I'm drawing a blank. Uh, you'll you, both of you probably know it. I'll think of it in a second. She ran the eight hundred. She made it to the eight hundred finals and finished fourth. She's from Eganville up in the Ottawa mm-hmm. Valley, and. There was all kinds of controversy around the 800-meter women's field, around hypoandrogenism and all kinds of other things. 
there was very little chance if you looked at the times that she was going to get a medal. So should we have just kept her at home and said, you know what, fourth isn't good enough, just we can't medal in this sport. So don't come. See, I think that's the opposite of what we should be doing. I, I'm, I'm, you know, coming in fourth. You're, you're fourth best in the world. That's great. Again, to to Luke's point and uh, and how we kind of talked about it, if if this woman was going to be in this position and she was, we knew Melissa she was, Bishop by Melissa. The way. Yeah. If Melissa wasn't going to crack the top uh, top eight, top sixteen to even into the semis and all that, that's when you kind of look at it. If, if she's qualified high enough within what Canada's parameters are and throughout the uh, the Pan Am games, then that's fine. But maybe you just have to tighten that line of qualifying just a little bit. Take all that coin and put it on half the Olympians instead. See, I, I, I disagree entirely with both of you guys. And the reason is because when we have the Olympics, we are a country that tends to be very self-deprecating and very... Mm-hmm lack self-confidence compared to the rest of the world. And I got to tell you, when the Olympics are on and we are doing well, yeah, I know in the grand scheme of things, it's not feeding starving children and it's not housing the homeless. But we feel as a country really good about ourselves and it gives us a sense of community. Uh, It gives us a sense of able to compete on the world stage. It gives us a buzz. And, And honestly, I think there's value in that. I really do. And even if that means you're going to send some people who are going to finish last, I still think there's great value in that. I don't see much value in sending someone either. to finish last. No. <laughs> you're, you're, yeah, you're, you're, you're the worst of everyone that went over there. But hey, did you have a good time? Did you get your participation ribbon? You got some great memories. Oh, you are harsh. <laughs> just, you are harsh. Just say it. And I'm not an Olympian. I am nowhere close. I would not put in the time. I'm not dedicated. I don't have the physique. I'm just saying. I'll second that. <laughs> I'm I'm just saying. You know what? You you have to you have to simplify this a little bit more and not spend as much cake on. Just them. before we go to break, Olympic athletes from Canada. If you win a gold medal, you get twenty thousand dollars. If you get a silver medal, you get fifteen thousand. If you get a bronze medal, you get ten thousand. That's a bonus. Canadian Olympic athletes who return with those medals are taxed. On their winnings. Of course they are. Should they be? Or should we say, listen, the government is giving you the money. That should be post-tax money. I agree with that. Do yes, you agree with that? that? There should be no tax. To me, on it those. seems like it's just it's 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 almost cheese ball to say, hey, thanks for what you did to bring glory to our country. Here's a prize. And like someone, for example, like a, uh, a Penny Alexiak, yeah. who at this point, has no income. She's 16 years old. So she's now won 20,000 plus 15,000, 35 plus 10 plus 10. She's won $55,000, no, $45,000 that she's now going to have to pay tax on. How is she going to pay tax on that? It's all it's now. Unf- it's not even that it's cheap. It's unfair to the athletes. That's I. I did not know that. That is extremely unfair. It's un. Unfa- it's very unfortunate, and that's sh- something that should be looked at as well. Yeah. Is, is it like that in every country? Like do, the what? states does it too. Although a congressman or a senator, I can't remember, has just launched a new. They're trying to pass a bill that would change that. So they these, do pay more though. I think for their they pay a well. little bit more. So these are not like athletes, in Russia. Vladimir Putin. <laughs> for anyone who won a medal, they just got luxury automobiles and all kinds well, of other cash and prizes over yeah. in Russia. Now that's so not necessarily blood, know. sweat, and tears. You work your tail off. You win a gold medal. You got to give half of it back. Here in Canada, you you scratch a lottery ticket. You won two hundred million dollars. You get to keep it all. Yeah. Doesn't make sense. 
That should be an Olympic sport. Scratch Lottery? <laughs> scratch tickets. Yeah, why not? L- L- scratch tickets at the mall. Yeah, there'd be a lot of people who could qualify for that one. We're going to take a quick break. Back after this with Mike Fortune and Luke Vermeer on the Scott Radley Show. Stay with us. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. Mike Fortune and Luke Vermeer. Luke, in tonight. We, we, we always try to get Luke in once in a while so that he can stretch his legs, which are very, very long. He's like six foot eleven. So it's you know it's a, but this in this case it's Close. mentally and verbally. Uh, before we get on to the next thing though, uh, your quiz question again. We actually got a bunch of calls. Not I was lot, shocked. Not a lot of right ones. Okay, I should point out. Not a lot of right ones, but I was shocked how many phone lines lit up when I asked this because I really do think this is a tough question. I'm not being funny. What part of your leg is named after a mythological Greek character? You know, old school Greek mythology kind of thing. There's a character from Greek mythology, and there's a part of your leg that has that person's name. What is that character? 905-645-3221, star 9900. I'll give you a hint. Well, not really a hint, a piece of advice. If you're trying to figure this out, just sort of work your way up and down your leg, stopping at the different geographic locations and saying the name out loud of what those parts are, and you'll get it. Like, you, you do know this. I'm not... I'm not giving you something here that you've never heard before. I just think it's a really tough one. Anyway, 905-645-3221, star 9900. What what part of your leg is named after a mythological Greek character? Luke is waiting for your call, and Luke will rejoin Mike and I after he gets off the phone, because a few lines still lighting up on this one. Mike, there was a really interesting piece on CHCH last night near the top of the newscast. Got me thinking because we've heard stories all summer long, it seems, this year about folks who get themselves in trouble by falling into gorges in this area and needing to have fire and ambulance and everyone else come and perform these exceedingly complicated, exceedingly time-consuming, exceedingly man-hour-heavy rope rescues. Mm-hmm. And the suggestion has now been made, you know what? You're not falling into these crevices and gorges and everything if you follow the path paths that are carved out for you, the public areas. Mm-hmm. These are people who are probably doing stupid stuff. Mm-hmm. And the suggestion has been made, you know what, if we have to perform a rope rescue and bring in 30 firefighters, and apparently each one costs about five grand, and there have been 16 of them this summer, you should be on the hook to pay all or a good part of the cost of that. What do you think about that idea? I have no disagreement with that whatsoever. I think it's a fantastic idea because I bet you those slip and falls will go from 16 down to almost nil if it's uh, if it's promoted. Except late on a Saturday night when well, there's hey, some bottle, empty bottles lying around. Yeah, if it's promoted and the PSAs are out there and maybe there's signage along uh, the trails that say, hey, you go off the path, it is, yeah, we'll come and save you, but it's your responsibility to foot the bill afterwards. You know, that's a big chunk, so maybe it has to be a percentage or something. Not only is it is it the is it the the time and the money, but you're taking these firefighters and EMS crews away from people that actually probably really need you as well. Not saying falling down a cliff that you don't need them, but it's for something really stupid. And you're putting honestly, you're putting, you're putting those other people's, people's lives, lives at risk, at risk as well. These paths, you know, my family, uh, we take a lot of different walks, and I have an 11 and an 8-year-old, 
And the one thing we say is always follow the path. And if you go off the path and you are unsure of a rock moving, or you just get off and you stay on it. There is a lot, Scott. There is, there is so much stupidity in this world. It is truly mind-boggling. And, you know, these culprits should should pay the piper. Luke? Yeah. It's it's a really simple answer. It's not it's not complicated in my mind. If if they're not on the path, it's their their problem if okay. they fell. Okay. So they should pay for it. So here's the here's the issue I have with it. On on its face, this is a no-brainer. Right? I mean, we all agree. On its face, this is an absolute no-brainer. If you do something really stupid and you require police, fire, ambulance, whatever else to come and rescue you, uh, you should pay for it. But why would we only stop at rope rescues? Well, if you drive at 140 kilometers an hour on a 90 kilometer an hour road, if you're going down the Red Hill Creek, going 50 kilometers over the limit, and you blow up your car, an ambulance and fire and police have to come, should you be billed for that? Why not? And, you know, it's it's like you're reading my text. My, my buddy James is listening right now. He said, if we start charging people for doing stupid stuff... Where do you draw the line? That's the and that's, that's just problem. what you said, and I think it's fantastic. And you know what? Maybe people should be held more accountable for these things, and they should take their time and be more aware of what's going on around them. You're doing 140, you blow up your car. Yeah, you should have to do all the insurance and all the other stuff that comes with it. And guess what? There might be another city fine. You know, we're always talking about taxes being raised. What if all these stupid people, individuals? Because Scott, you and I wouldn't do 140 and blow up our car. Yeah, but, there, but here's the other problem, Luke. Okay, so we, we've set the bar here saying, okay, if you're going 140... You set the bar. Okay, I set the bar. <laughs> but just for the sake... Yeah, okay, fair enough. But for the sake of discussion, we said, if you're going 140 and you crash, but what if you're going... It's a 90. What if you're going 120? What if you're going 115? What's the speed limit? Like, wh- What's so, the speed so limit? If, if you are one kilometer over the speed limit, you have to pay your, your fine. If, it, if you've done something stupid if, and you get caught, yep. Wow. See there, that's what, <laughs> no, no. And that that's the easy answer to it. There's it's, no doubt that's the easy answer. It's that, the easy answer because it's easy just to follow the rules. Would that ever hold up in court? I was going 92 on a 90 because the guy behind me was right up on my butt and I was afraid that he was going to hit me. So I gave a little gas and then I had an accident. I was going 92. You think the court is going to say, I'm sorry, you have to pay for the whole thing? Look, it, there's there's no cut and dry. It, it, it's going to get a problem. little sticky. But I understand that. This is the problem that, with but, all these mm-hmm. things is that stupidity is kind of in the eye of the beholder. Mm-hmm. Is it not? I, I mean, there's a lot of things that you could say. In this is stupid, but that's not stupid, but they're very similar. Yeah, I can't really explain exactly why I feel like this, but to me, the falling down a cliff because you went off the path feels stupider than going 150 in your car. <laughs> it just it just does, <laughs> and I don't really know why, but it's it's easy for me to make the distinction. I. What about the guy we talked about last night who tried to kill the cockroaches with a homemade flamethrower <laughs> and burn down his building? Hey. Would that fall into the stupid category? Yeah, oh, yeah. That's very stupid. <laughs> There's no question. Yeah. And yeah. Anyway. So maybe what we need. Here, here, we're solving the problem right here. We convene a citizen panel of like five people on a rotating basis. And if you have an accident, you have to go in front of them and present your case like you would to a judge and they decide stupid or acceptable behavior that went awry. I think you'd see a lot of stupid signs pop up. (laughs) You truly would.
Absolutely. Yeah, well, now the problem is, who gets to be on the panel? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because if you're lucky, you get the panel of, oh, oh you know, that I'm like, oh, that didn't sound too stupid. Okay, yeah. well, what did you do today? Well, I ran across the street naked. <laughs> um, you know, that, that's the panel you want. I just think it's not his fault that the flamethrower got out of control. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's... um. Like, I, again, I, I heard this thing about the uh, the rope rescue, and it makes endless amounts of sense. It does. I just think that if you start this, it's a very difficult, slippery slope to try and navigate no around. No pun intended. Pa- pa- no pun intended. But it is it is a very <laughs> difficult thing to navigate around and to I, work your way through about what qualifies now as dumb behavior and what qualifies as an accident. Again, in regards to the slipping down the rocks throw a few signs around, do some public service announcements, put it on the web, tweet it out, Facebook it all. Uh, moving forward, effective October 1st, 2016, uh, you, you, you go off the path, you are at your own risk, and be prepared to pay financially. Just no fences. What I'm, do you mean? I'm no? completely against the idea of putting fences up. There. Well, you know, I, I agree with that. Don't but put there up fences. Are, there are, in a lot of these places, fences and guardrails where the public is supposed to be. Correct. It's where you decide to wander off. But as sure. soon as you hop over that guardrail... Then you're on your own. You're on your own, But buddy. I mean, we when I was a kid, we used to walk uh, part of the Bruce Trail down uh, just uh, up the hill from Grimsby. And there were parts where there were essentially lookouts where it was fenced and you could stand on it. But there were also parts where the trail got close to the edge and there were no fences there. And it was as simple for my parents and my uncles and my grandparents to just say, don't go anywhere near the edge. And simple common sense should be able to protect you in ah, those situations. Hey, people simple fall off common sense. That, that's not always in, in abundance. People fall off cruise ships. If you've ever been on a cruise ship, it's really hard to fall off a cruise ship. There are railings that are probably three and a half, four feet high everywhere because they don't want you to fall off the cruise ship. <laughs> and I, I'm people not gonna, do. I'm not going to defend those people, but my center of balance is higher than three and a half to four feet, so I could conceivably fall off without doing anything. Luke, if you were on one of these ships, <laughs> you would even you would see you would have to be <laughs> eight feet tall before you would reach a point where it would be easy for someone to go over. But yet, people, I got to stand up on the railing to get a better view of yeah. the ocean that I can. I want to be Leonardo DiCaprio. Well, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> here's the. But Mike, you raised something. That I think is really, really interesting, and that is, you said, if people had to pay for all the stuff, you could do it across the board. Do you think that's true? Do you think that if you said, listen, we are now going to start the city or whoever, the province, the city, whomever, we are going to start suing people who we believe acted idiotically to retrieve the money, and you start doing it for car accidents, for slips and falls, for this, for that, and you start blanketing the city and people, do you think that it would affect people or do you think they would simply say this is idiotic and they would fight back? In this day and age, everything, everything seems to be video recorded, uh, still images of something. You know what? You have to do your due diligence. Maybe you do have to do a little investigating and do a little homework and all that. But again, if, if you do all of that, people, I think will take a second look at things and go, you know what, man, I shouldn't be jumping over that. I shouldn't be doing this. I th- I think it will work. Last, Did I answer your question? I don't know if well, I answered your last question Last thing there. before we go to break on this one. Should pay, and we're, this is into a whole other territory. 
if the, some of these rope rescues, I believe, have been for young teenagers, a couple of them anyway. Yeah, and we know what the young teenagers are doing. Okay, but should a a thirteen year old is not paying a five thousand dollar bill to have a rope rescue done for him or her? That means mom and dad That's would right. have to. Should mom and dad be on the hook for stupid things that kids do? What if a kid? When I was a kid, I'm not proud of this story. All right, I'm not proud of this. But we had a grove of crabapple trees along a street near where I lived. And one time a bunch of us were up in the tree and we thought it would be really hilarious next car that drove by to <laughs> pelt the car with crabapples. Mm. What we didn't realize was that the guy driving along with his passenger side toward us had his passenger window down. So when one of us, and I honestly don't know if it was <laughs> me or someone else, whipped the crabapple, we nailed him right in the side of the head as he's driving and he almost drove off the road. Now, I was about six, so, you know, I, thankfully I've come, become a little wiser since then. But if he had driven off the road, if he'd crashed into another car, should mom and dad be on the hook to pay for that accident? Mom and dad should be on the hook for some sort of legal fees or whatever the, whatever the judge would incur, by all means. But the, mom and dad would already be on the hook, probably they would be sued to get back the deductible for the insurance or whatever. Mm-hmm. But should they be on the hook for the entire cost of the accident is what I'm saying. I think there should be a percentage. I don't know about the whole entire thing, but there should be a lesson learned. I, I don't think so. Because I'm sure your parents were great parents and yet you still did that. So, and I, it was, you know, it was one of those, like, honestly, I'm not, I'm not saying this because I'm on the radio. I was not an insane, crazy kid who did a lot of bad stuff all the time. But in that moment, that was a really stupid thing to do. True. So Luke is right. I had a moment of really dumbness. We, we all have. At and that it, age. Just, it just always happened for me that when I decided to do something stupid, it always went bad. It was always, I remember we, well, there's too many stories. That's I, a good life lesson, it, I suppose. If it, if, if it was going well for you, you might still be doing stupid stuff. That's probably true. <laughs> but also being, you know this, and people listening, if anyone listening is tall and was tall as a kid, all the short kids in your class could do all kinds of stuff. And then as soon as you did it, you got seen and you got in trouble. That's just the way it worked. I, I don't know that because I was the short kid. Really? Yep. I just, I look at this and I think, I, I like the idea that we charge people for the rope rescues. I like the idea that we charge people, not not criminally, I'm saying a fee or, or to get the money back for something that is really, really preventable and really, really stupid. I just don't know how you draw those lines. I just don't know how you determine where the barometer is for what counts as really stupid and what counts as kind of stupid and what counts as not really preventable. And I, I mean, honestly, that's that's where this whole discussion comes to. How do you establish what those lines are? And I don't know how you do that. How do you establish, establish the level of stupidness? That, well, that's that's what <laughs> you would have to set out, though. You'd have right. to have a, 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 a category, a, a grade of stupidness. I think it's a great idea. Let's do it. Put grade, that put the, that before council. <laughs> oh, see no. where all of them fall. <laughs> on, on the, ask, ask council to define stupid. <laughs> Mike does the Wednesday night pre-council show with Sandy Shaw, who's a regular on here. Um, that may be <laughs> that may be setting a ball up on oh, the tee. Boy. I don't know. Here, define stupid. <laughs> I would love, oh, I would tune in for that episode of Council. <laughs> I really would. Because you know what would happen? 
half the counselors who don't like each other would just immediately define it by pointing at another counselor. That's stupid. It, you, that, it would be highly entertaining. I'll give you that. Wonder which counselor would get the most fingers pointed at him? Anyways, we're, we're not even going to guess on here right now. I want I want to be able to talk to counselors at some point. I know, I know. But everyone has their thoughts. I know what they're thinking right now. Uh, quick break. Back after this on the Scott Radley Show. Stay with us. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. Story out of Oregon. We don't go to Oregon for a lot of our news lately, but we are going to Oregon this evening for our news because there is a school district that sent out a list of what music is not allowed on school buses when their kids are on the buses. (laughs) And the music that is not allowed or the things that kids are not allowed to listen to, are rap music, religious music of any kind, and talk show programs. So, like, the kids are allowed to listen to personally or over the speakers? No, no, personally. If you, well, I don't know if they can actually check to see what you're listening to in your headphones, but somehow you are not allowed to have any rap music, religious music, or talk show programs on the bus. I don't know how they're going to check it, <laughs> But so the the immediate reaction was, well, the rap music ban is racist, which I mean, very predictable, right? I, I mean, I, that 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 was the predictable one you knew was going to come immediately. I would use the word prejudiced, not racist. Yeah. It's a little lo- I, I, because I think it's prejudiced against an entire genre, implying that it is somehow worse than all the other ones. I I understand the religious one. I don't agree with it, but I understand why they're doing that. The other two make zero sense to me. See, the problem, and this is the funny thing, is the, 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 the one against the rap music, you know, while there's a lot of stuff in rap music that I find to be offensive and I find to be over the top and I find to be really of no redeeming value, uh, you know, it's the one place in our society still that you can have people hearing N-bombs left, right, and the N-word left, right, and center all the time. And that seems to be okay. And I, I mean, I, I disagree with it. I think if you want to get rid of that word, you don't keep using it. You, you drop it, it and it falls out of the vernacular in yeah. time. Yeah. But here's the question I want to ask you. Do we not have a complete, in North America now, a complete misunderstanding of the separation of church and state? And the reason I ask that question is this. When they are saying no religious music of any kind, what the schools are supposed to not be doing is indoctrinating kids with religious, with a particular religious viewpoint. There's nothing in Canada's or the United States' constitution or charter of rights or anything else that says a person can't listen to their own religious teachings or music on a public property. And it seems to me this is something that's become completely now misconstrued, that the separation of church and state means we have to ban religion from any public place. That's not what, this, that, to me, that's not what this is about at all. And we have broadened it to the point that says religion has no place, period, for anybody in the public spectrum. Two things I was always taught to not talk about was politics and religion, but... But does that mean that you can't be reading a religious you, book or you, listening to religious music of your exactly. choice. And, you know, I see no problem at all. You you listen to whatever kind of music you want, but if you want to listen to it, you put it in with your earbuds at a normal level. 
it's it's what well, I think what starts to get out of hand. And you run into this at and you go into any office and you will have people with their little radios playing, and and you it's it's interrupting a whole office room, if you will. To go into Oregon and they say that you can't listen to rap, you can't listen to religion, whatever the case might be, on your own personal on your own personal body, I think is uh, doesn't that kind of affect the whole freedom of speech and thought and so on and so forth? It, having looked into this now, because I have the luxury of a computer in front of yeah, me, I which don't, unfortunately yeah. Mike doesn't. <laughs> um, it seems like the directive is just to the bus drivers, like they were playing music, which having ridden on a school bus is not a part of the experience I had. Like there was no music that played over the school bus speakers, but apparently that's what it is, is that bus drivers were playing that. And at least in the religious music, that makes sense because that goes to your separation of church and state. If the bus driver of a school is playing religious music over the speaker in the bus, that is indoctrinating the kids. And that I agree with. And to some extent, now I understand the talk radio portion because you could also indoctrinate children with a lot of pretty crazy ideas it's, by listening to talk radio. You're not totally off on the the interpretation of what the story says, although, it, the, again, the story is saying that radio stations were being played on the buses by students and drivers. So it's it, it, it goes across. So maybe students were playing it like out of speakers or something. Maybe. Or, or, or maybe the bus driver got to say, okay, you know what, today, uh, Luke, you get to pick the station we listen to on the drive-in, and maybe they would pick their favorite station. Who knows? And then I guess the rap thing is interesting to me, because if they're listening to radio stations, l- the, not satellite radio, let's say over-the-air radio stations, mm-hmm. whatever rap is playing is going to be clean. Well, clean is Relatively speaking. <laughs> clean <Clean-ish. laughs> But yeah. as, No, as, I, I know what you mean. As clean as any pop song it's is going to have be. a radio edit because the radio to, version because yeah. like it says in this in this article that i read that they're supposed to stick to pop country and and something else and there's a lot of innuendo in pop music i'd argue just as much as there is in well, a clean more rap in country you listen to i'm just gonna <laughs> well, say listen to country music. i guess i don't listen to country music so well, that's that's the problem i should so, open you up to a whole new world luke uh, i think i'm fine <laughs> <laughs> um but it like if if you're listening to it over the air, then it's missing the profanity, which seems to be their big issue with it. And so I don't understand why they're singling out hip hop. It's well, it, it, it's it's a number of varieties of things. And again, I, I the, the hip hop thing in the rawest version, I get what they're trying to do. Uh, but again, you're right; it's radio stations, so it's not really that. But again, I go back to the other thing. It seems to me, and we hear stories of this all the time now, we hear stories of people who are on, I've, I've read stories recently of people on campus who will be reading a Bible and they're told, you can't have that on school property, you can't be reading that here. We've misunderstood what the separation of church and state is. It is that the state is not supposed to be indoctrinating kids with one particular religion. Not that you don't have the right to follow your religion or to explore your religion or listen or read about it on that. That's not what this is about. And we've completely, I think completely misunderstood. Anyway, we are also completely way out of time. Got to take a break back after this on the Scott Radley show. Stay with us. You're listening to the Scott Radley show weeknights from seven to nine on AM 900 CHML. I was talking about this topic probably a week and a half ago on the show. If you're a regular listener, you would have heard us talking about this. Jim Poling from The Spectator was on to discuss this about a week and a half ago. And I thought that was going to be it because I thought that was probably the last we were going to hear about it. I was wrong. It is a topic that continues to get traction and continues to have more and more 
journalists of various levels saying things that have me a little bit puzzled. And essentially what it is, and the latest one uh, is a guy by the name of Jorge Ramos. Jorge. Who is an anchorman on Univision, which is a Latino network down in the States. That's my alter ego around the house. Is it? <laughs> Jorge Ramos. I got to tell you, this guy, his, his, his accent is spectacular. Like it's that beautiful Ricky Ricardo Latino accent. Like you would, I, I could listen to this guy talk all day long because of the way he speaks. That's but great. Here is the thing that he said. So going back, about a week and a half ago, the media writer in the New York Times said, if you are a journalist who believes that Donald Trump is a despot, is racist, is whatever else, you have to abandon all previous beliefs about journalism and objectivity and basically go after him and become subjective and opinionated, even though you are a reporter covering the news. You are, it is your obligation to do that. Then, now, Jorge Ramos has come out and said the same thing, that if you are a journalist and you don't believe that Donald Trump is good for the states, you must, your obligation is that you must abandon any pretext of fairness and objectivity, and you must go after him as if he was a bad, bad dude. And I'll be honest with you, when I hear this, they're not talking about people who are columnists, analysts, editorial writers, opinion writers. They are talking about journalists, reporters who are forever the basis of journalism has been fairness and giving both sides and objectivity. They're saying that has to be abandoned in the case of Donald Trump. Mike, to me, this is an outrageous affront to journalism. And this is, as the New York Post wrote this week, the death of journalism. If this is what happens, if this is what comes out of this election, to me, journalism is dead. Who can trust them anymore? Yeah, I really wish I'd listened to Jim's answer. Uh, and, and it was erudite, and it said, was brilliant, and it was. But and it's yeah, a tough question. I, I can. It's a very tough question. You know, when I read the news, I like to read. I want the facts and just the facts. If I read another article and I'm curious on people's opinion, then I know which authors I can go to, so on and so forth. I think I think it's a disgrace, and as you said, it could be the end of journalism as we know it. You you kind of don't you I don't know you, you're a journalist you, you I don't know if you take an oath or whatever but I I appreciate understand what what you and Susan Claremont and a bunch of the other journalists at the Spec have to go through and how you have to toe that fine line and how it can be so tough. Sometimes you just want to read something and you just want I just want the facts, man. That's all I want and then I can make my own decision. For Scott Radley or Susan Claremont and again I'm just picking on you two. You know you know why I'm doing this. I want to read you because I like how you tell the story. If I want to read a Scott Radley piece and he's going to give me my opinion, then I I don't mind reading that if if it's a, if it's a fun piece or if it's an interesting piece. But if it's if you are reporting on something something as big, there's a difference as the a U.S. election. Yeah, there's a difference between a reporter and an opinion writer. And here's what Jorge Ramos said. Here's his quote: "Trump has forced journalists to revisit rules of objectivity and fairness. Mm-hmm. Just providing." Both points of view is not enough in the current presidential campaign. If a candidate is making racist and sexist remarks, we cannot hide in the principle of neutrality. That's a false equivalence. So the problem, Luke, that I have with this 
besides the fact that it goes against everything that every journalist has believed and followed since the dawn of journalism. As we've seen in the last week, we've seen an awful lot of stuff, starting with the Associated Press reports, that Hillary Clinton has done some stuff that is worthy of some tough questions. But if you are now, as a journalist, taking a side, are you going to report that? Essentially, how does this trickle down and affect all other parts of your coverage of everything? I'm just trying to figure out, and I was trying to figure this out uh, when you had Jim on, how it works. Like, how is a reporter supposed to inject their opinion? When when I was in journalism school, I remember I was covering uh, the women's soccer team at our school. And initially, in my first couple articles, I tried to use language like they played a good game, a strong game. Like, stuff that I felt was objective because I, as someone who knows the game, can tell when a good game is played or when a poor game is played. And even then, my editors and my teachers were like, eh, I don't know that you're venturing into opinion. Like, I, how do you insert your opinion into an artic- into a report on Donald Trump? Well, what I, just, they're I talking, don't understand. What they're talking about here, because, I mean, again, if you're writing about something about a soccer game, you can generally use words like it was a good game. If the team wins seven to one, they probably played a good game. I mean, that's a, you can be objective and still say those kind of things. What they're talking about here is you are going to essentially say everything that a candidate, and we, you know, we're talking about Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton, but let's apply this somewhere else. Let's apply this then to reporters in Ontario when the next election rolls around. If you decide that Kathleen Wynne is dangerous for Ontario. Do we then say reporters who cover press conferences for Kathleen Wynne, after she finishes speaking, say, well, you know, forget what she said. It was all a bunch of lies. That's what we're talking, as opposed to reporting what is presented and then letting, as Mike says, letting the people make their decisions of whether they believe it or disbelieve it. And so, I, I again, I look at this and I think the, the, the Pandora's box that gets opened up if you, in this case, say, well, he's bad, so forget all the journalistic principles of fairness. Because as soon as you've done that, what happens to... and You you can no longer trust, in my mind, that journalist for objectivity on the next topic because, well, you may think something about someone else later on. It's just interesting to me, I guess, that people have such a problem with some of the networks in the States, Fox News gets the majority of it, but MSNBC gets some of it too, mm-hmm. for their twisting, their cherry picking of facts that suit their particular view, whether it be right or left. Yet when this comes up, because it's in relation to Donald Trump, a person who, I mean, he does kind of fit a lot of those things that Jorge Ramos called him, but that people don't have a problem with that because they don't like him. Donald Trump is an exceedingly controversial politician. There is no Mm -hmm. way around that. But you would have in Canada during the last federal election, you would have had journalists who would have thought that Stephen Harper was worthy of abandoning 
journalistic principles for, but uh, we don't. You know what's but interesting? But we don't because you have to try to be fair. Well, see, you bring that up, and and one of my major criticisms of CBC's federal election coverage in the past few elections is that I have found their reporter that they send to the conservative headquarters, Terry Maluski, to be exceptionally biased against the thing he is reporting on. He can barely hide his disdain for the <laughs> the conservative party. And he is the reporter. He's not one of their opinion p- people. On their panels, I'm perfectly fine with that because that's that's what they're paid to do. But I have fa- I've had such a huge problem with the fact that he doesn't he's there to just tell you what the things are like at the headquarters and he can't even do that objectively. So what Mike do we what do we do after this then? If this is the new reality and I don't believe it is. I think it is for some, but if this was to become the new reality. What is what what would you as a reader when this election is over believe? Because here's the other part of it. If, and and we're using this particular example, but you can apply it again to any election or any issue you want. If you have reporters who have decided to take a position to defeat Donald Trump or to make sure Hillary Clinton wins, when she does something or he does something, depending on who gets in after the election, if it was her that is worthy of being critical, will you be? Or do you have to then cover that person's backside because you made sure they got in, so they've got to do well now. They can't be a failure. Are you talking as me as the reader? I'm or? talking about you. So what? How do you how do you read a journalist if you can no longer believe their objective? I'm fortunate enough where I like to read a lot of news, so I will I will read many different reporters or journalists on a specific topic, and then from there you're very unique that way. I honestly, will, I I will then form my own thoughts and my own opinion. Might I be swayed a little bit? Potentially. But you know what? As I find, as, I, as I'm getting a little bit older, I, I'm realizing that there is this, there's a shock value. People want to be the first to report things. People want to get their face on trending all over the world and all this. I don't, I think, I think that's what a lot of this might also be coming down to as well. So you know what? Be, a, be, a, be an individual do your own research, do your own homework, take a little time, read an article here, read an article there, and then base and formulate your own opinion. But you, that's really, you, you say that, and I agree with you, but very few people do that. In our modern society, and I hear this all the time as someone who writes, yeah. we, we choose, most people today choose to live in an echo chamber. You want to read the stuff that reflects the view you already hold that substantiates for you now that you are right, that there are people who share that view. We don't like to be challenged. And isn't that sad? Well, it is, but we don't like to be challenged by those who would hold an opinion different from us. So while you go and look at different reports, what we're talking about with this particular story where we're now going to have, quote, quote, objective journalists holding positions and being not objective you're not going to have a lot of people doing the Mike Fortune thing where you go and read a bunch and come up with your own opinion. You are just going to have reporters feeding you what you want. It's pablum that supports your previously already held views. And well, that, that's and that's sad. what social media is. Well, exactly. It's you only follow the things that you want to. I mean, I'm not a guy who goes to social media for his general news. I, really, because I'm a guy who loves sports, that's what I use social media for. But even I'm guilty of that. If I don't like what a reporter is saying, I'll unfollow them because I don't want to see it anymore in my timeline. And that's 
It's just helping the echo chamber. Of course, it's with something slightly less important than politics, but it's it's exactly what I'm talking about. Let me say this for you. When our next municipal election rolls around in two years, I think it is, or our next provincial election in three years, if you, as someone who works in the media, if you come across stories... Now, we're all going to have opinions that someone is being subjective, but let me look at it honestly. If you see a reporter who is doing what Jorge Ramos and what the guy from the New York Times, if you read them and a reporter, not a columnist, not an opinion writer, if you read them doing this, call them on it. Send them emails. Call their phone line and tell them, smarten up. You are supposed to be objective. That's what we expect. The only way journalism works is if we have people who are presenting the news fairly and then we can have other people offering opinions. But as soon as we lose that, it's bedlam. It is. It's broken. It's completely broken. And and I worry that we have people who have this kind of sway and this kind of public profile who are saying this is okay now. This is not okay. This is absolutely the opposite of okay for journalism. This will kill journalism if this is what we do. Anyway, got to go to break. Rant over. Back after this on The Scott Radley Show. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. We have in this city a football team right now, talking about the Tiger Cats. As opposed to the other football teams we well, have. Well, McMaster. McMaster plays this weekend as well. We had them on last night. That's true. But we have a football team in this city in the Tiger Cats that... Um, disemboweled and eviscerated, and any other verbs you choose to use, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders last week. They now have Zach Caleros back. I just... Their I'd, starting quarterback. I'd like to throw in disemboweled a children's football team. Well, fair week. enough. <laughs> but the point is, when Zach Caleros came back from his injury, the first half of the first game that he played against BC, he looked meh. Shaking off the rust. But then the second half, he looked very good, and last week he looked great, and the team looks great around him, and they have a very strong lineup, and barring any kind of massive series of injuries, I would argue that this is probably the most talented team man-for-man in the Canadian Football League. So, Luke, I'll start with you this time. I think that we have reached the point now with this team having been to the Grey Cup two of the past three years, that not winning the Grey Cup this year ceases to be simply a disappointment, and now this year reaches the point of a failure. Yeah, absolutely. I I said it at the beginning of the season that the roster with Kalaros as the quarterback was the best in the league. I think they are the best team in the league, and there's no excuse to not win this year. The East is bad. Everybody else is bad. I I know Ottawa came out to a great start, but what have they done lately? They just lost to BC last night. They got destroyed by Montreal in their own building. They, uh, to me, they are pretenders. Toronto doesn't have it figured out, and Montreal is absolutely awful. So you're going to win the East walking. You're going to win the East incredibly easily. Which means you will have a bye week and then a home game. And then one game against the West. And those teams are better, but but I still think the Ticats are better than them. Yeah. Mike, is it is it a disappointment if they don't win the Grey Cup this year or a failure? I'm a little tired of cheering for a team where you're always cheering for the bridesmaid. I'm going to be honest with you. You know, it, it's been frustrating the last two years to watch how the Ticats have played well and then uh, 
came up flat, needless to say, in, in the Grey Cup game. It would be a huge disappointment. The game, the Grey Cup this year is where? In Toronto, I believe. Mm-hmm. It's going to be in Toronto. Uh, you have a chance. You know, they're, they're asking for huge bucks for tickets. I, I, I bet you right now Tannenbaugh and all of them are, are praying that the Ticats get into the Grey Cup. Because at least you well, know the Argos aren't the because Ar- the Argos aren't that's right. So at least you're going to have a team. You're going to have a ton of people from Hamilton come down to help sell those huge huge ticket prices. That's that's the thing. It's everybody talks. When are we getting a Grey Cup? Well, you got a chance to have a home Grey Cup this year. Exactly. Um, Pretty close. It, yep. it, it is amazing. I find it just because f- the team looked horrible without Zach. And when he came back, I didn't expect miracles to to come. But he really is a miracle player. What he's done, he can do things on the fly, and I love what Coach Potasic, you know, you put in the plays and all that, but Zach, he, he, he can ad-lib. He, he can, well, he he can, gets he can the, get he, out of trouble. He understands the game yeah. a lot better than Jeremiah Mazzoli does. I think Jeremiah Mazzoli has all the physical tools Zach Caleros has, maybe more. I don't know about that. I don't know. I th- you know what? He's a very good athlete, Jeremiah Mazzoli, but he just looks like they look like two completely different people when it comes to understanding how the game is played and where guys are supposed mm-hmm. to be and where the seams are in a defense and how to read a defense. It, it is two different worlds. And so as long as Caleros's knee holds up, honestly, I'm not, I'm not trying to be a jerk about this. I think if they don't win the Grey Cup this year, if their team doesn't suffer, as I say, a rash of injury. I mean, if, listen, if there is a, suddenly a series of major injuries to key guys, that's that's something that you can't predict and you you know you have to understand but if this team if this team as it is currently constructed can stay together and get to the and get through the regular season to me it's a failure not to win the great cup this year they also need to be they need to continue to be disciplined i I, well that's something they're always been working on for years that's just just the kent austin way of playing football but i'm surprised under kent austin that they still do have so many penalties it is truly mind-blowing to me to see those orange flags come down consistently well you've got a you've got a coach who has a bit of a temper and i don't think that that can't rub off on the team around him I mean, it's just, there are things that Kent Austin has brought to the team, a lot of things that have been very, very positive. The one thing that can, that you deal with when you've got a coach who leads by example, like he does with intensity and everything else is you. But you're not going offside because you're angry. You know, if, if you want to get a, 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 pe- a penalty for, you know, for nudging a player or something, you know, but you don't get penalties for be- constantly being offside in procedure. No. It's ridiculous. But I mean, like, I think in terms of defensive penalties, that's. That's Tiger Cats football. I think fans are okay because it means the guys are playing on the edge and yeah. they're 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 willing to step over the line if it means winning the game. Yeah, just as long as it's not on the third last play of the game when the other team is marching <laughs> on third down, yeah. uh, then yeah. we're not really interested in you knocking the snot out of a guy just to snarl and show Tiger Cat football. This weekend, Sunday night, uh, they play against the Calgary Stampeders. Calgary is the other class of the league over in the West right now. BC's a very good team, but Calgary is the class of the league. Big test. Yeah, BC feels like they're just kind of, it's going to happen at some point. It's going to fall apart for them. Yeah, I agree. There's that hovering, yeah. So what happens, what do we read into a game prior to Labor Day between these two teams? If the Ticats go out and they lose... Because actually, I, I read today Kent Austin has not beat the not beaten the Stampeders in his time in Hamilton yet. So it's, that wouldn't be the first time. But if Hamilton loses, not to th- beaten the Stampeders in Calgary though. Uh, is it? Oh, I don't know if it's overall. I, I don't think he's beaten them yet. I think that he hasn't won a game against Calgary. Whoa! I'll double check that. But I think it's a statement game on Sunday. 
I think the Tie Cats have to show that they are here. They are for real. Look, we got we got our we got our stud back. He's 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 leading us. He shook the rust off against BC. What if they get shelled? Look, well then, guess I, what, boys? Get get back to that drawing board and and learn from it. Beat up on everyone in the East and be prepared to play Calgary in the Grey Cup and and uh, take some lessons from that and beat up on them in November. Yeah, and, and I know anything can happen, but I don't think they get shelled. No, I think Sunday. they win. I don't think there's any way they do that. I, I think they've got a great chance to win. Really, it worked out perfectly when Kalaros came back from the injury. You get one game to get your legs back against BC. You then get just a cupcake of a game so you can really run up the score and, and make yourself feel good. And then comes probably the most important one. The most important game being against Calgary, and then you get right back into the schedule with another cupcake against Toronto. Why two, is two, it? two cupcakes? You play Toronto back to back, don't you? That's true, but I mean Labor Day especially. Oh, yeah. There's 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 something about Tim Hortons Field Agreed. and the Argonauts. Yep. Although to be honest, I was at the season opener at BMO Field, um, and the atmosphere there was pretty similar to a Tim Hortons Field. But atmosphere. I don't think it's, I don't. It hasn't been like that since though. No, no, I don't mean for the Argos. I mean for, for the, the Tiger, Tiger Cats. Cats yeah, it's. Uh, at the end of the game, I turned to my friend and I said, you know, it's it's great to open a new stadium with a win, a new home <laughs> stadium with a win. Why is it that every, in the modern era, it seems that every major game the Ticats play ends up being against the Calgary Stampeders? I mean, I know they lost. they're so good. <laughs> I know they lost the Great Cup to Saskatchewan and Saskatchewan. I know that. But yeah. two years ago, they lost to Calgary. 98-99, when they went to the Great Cup, 1-1, lost one. Both were against Calgary. This seems to be a team that if the Ticats have a good team... It's their kryptonite. The Stampeders always seem to be the game by which you measure yourself. Yeah. And I don't think it's well, different this time. But, but you, you have to applaud uh, the Calgary organization oh, yeah. as well. They have always they have always had a good front office. They've always had a great coaching staff. And they've always been able to bring in players and, and then recycle players and, and, and move the chess pieces around to make sure that there's always a quality product on the field. The Calgary Stampeders are one of the classes of the West, and it's fascinating to watch an organization like that do what they do consistently. And, you know, the, the reason that the Ticats are just, it just, I think it's luck of the draw that you're always up against them. They're just, they're just that much better. Very, very, very few times Calgary has a weak team. Pretty amazing. It's because they keep finding quarterbacks. Well... I heard this week that Hamilton has seven, I think, quarterbacks on their neg list or something. Like we got quarterbacks coming out the yin yang. I mean, in fairness, they only have one good one on the roster, so you might as well load up your neg list to try and find the next one. We're gonna get uh, Johnny Manziel here in Hamilton. Oh. I heard. I'm joking, by the way. That don't would be call. Such a I'm, terrible I don't, idea. Don't no, don't don't worry. I'm just joking. But it was an ESPN report, and it was loopy to begin with. And don't worry. Johnny Manziel is not coming to Hamilton. Well, but I thought I read a tweet somewhere, and I have to go back in my timeline, that the commissioner would be open to him coming to the CFL. Yeah, well, the only people who would be excited if Johnny Manziel came to this to Hamilton <laughs> and to the Tiger Cats would be the local strip establishments. I mean, look, his <laughs> talent and his his game, his style, would probably translate fairly well to the CFL. I just don't want his brain in this league. Well, as we go to break, that to me is the funniest part of the ESPN report. Because the ESPN report says Johnny Manziel wouldn't do well in the CFL because it's a league that really doesn't doesn't like quarterbacks that run around and huh. extend plays. And it's like, <laughs> wait a second. What? 
What? Doug Flutie? <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I read this. This is went, coming from the the American oh rights gosh. holder of this league. Yes, we are. We are. We are in upside down <laughs> land oh, when uh, when that was said. Anyway, that's um, it, it's actually worth a read, if only for uh, for a good chuckle. Uh, we got to take a break. When we come back after the break, we are going to run a little test here to determine if you, along with Mike, along with Luke, maybe even along with me, to determine if you are classy. There is a checklist that a British newspaper has come out with to determine your level of classiness. Please feel free to be playing along. You have to play it, come back. Oh, I, Yeah, not you're, not, you're not getting out exactly. of this. <laughs> we'll, we'll discuss all this when we come back. Stay with us. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. What better way to introduce a segment on uh, class? Luke, who was the... Uh, that was uh, Theory of a Dead Man with Low Life. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, that fits exactly with uh, what we're doing here. So Hysterical. I needed um, that. So here is some... Um, this is a, uh, a checklist. And I thought I'd go over this with the, uh, the two gentlemen in studio here. But please, play along at home. Keep tabs of your own score. It's from the Mirror over in the UK. And it is the top. Now, we're not going to do all 50 because I don't have time, but we're going to blast through a bunch of these. These are signs to tell that you are a classy person. So anytime I say one that fits you, just say, yep, check. Make a note of how many are here. So we'll start with number 50. You own a pedigree dog. Either of you guys? No. No. You arrive fashionably late to parties. You're supposed to give your own answer to this. Oh, yeah, sorry. Uh Pedigree? No, they're mutts. They're <laughs> <laughs> mutts. Uh, arrive fashionably late to parties. Yes. Definitely not. I have to be early. Yeah, no. See, I'm, I'm early as well. No, I hate being early. Uh, you know how to flirt properly. Oh. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> put, put me right up there. Yes. Yes. <laughs> With stars and arrows. <laughs> see, I, I think that's just a hair thing. You don't even have to say anything. You just walk in and you show the hair. It, it's it's the hair and the wink. I've got the wink down to a science. I am not going to pretend because otherwise somebody might call me out on it. Is a generous tipper. Yes. I would say yes, yes. on that one. Uh, let me skip a few here. Uh, doesn't fill the wine glass to the top. See, I don't think that's about being classy. I think that's about being cheap. But anyway, do you fill the wine glass to the top when you fill someone's cup, your glass? Depends on the person. Depends on uh, how I'm feeling that night. <laughs> uh, pays the bill. Oh, of course. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Oh, you're Dutch. <laughs> That's why I always go. I always go Dutch. Um, uh, only gives compliments when they actually mean it. I'd, I, I Have wish... I said anything nice to you lately, Scott? No, but... That's I mean, I, I no, I do. I sometimes say compliments that, <laughs> but see, is that a lack of class? See, to me, it's okay. I found something nice to say about you. No, I feel like the class is not saying the mean things right. and yeah. instead saying the If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. Owns yeah. a timeless pair of shoes. What's timeless? Like, I suppose dress shoes are like timeless, Dress shoes, right? like laced up black dress shoes. I don't know. Then yes. Knows the difference between Mozart and Beethoven. No. Yes, I know that one. I know the difference between the composers, but I can't necessarily oh. pick out their. Oh music. no, I could. I could identify between the two of them. That one, I, I'll, I yeah. couldn't. Is a good listener. Yes. No. Shush. Shush. Sh- what were you saying? <laughs> <laughs> uh, knows the correct way to hold a wine glass. Pinky out. 
and not like grabbing not, all not, the not like uh, you, that you do a snifter with with the cognac like that the, yeah, but you hold the st- like the stammer underneath the stem no, you don't just grab it like a goblet you, you don't hold it under because that warms up the wine yes, the stem. I guess I'm finding out that I do not know how to hold a wine glass uh, knows more than two types of wine Red and white. <laughs> Are there other colors? Yeah. There's a rosé. Rosé. <laughs> That's right. Sparkling. Uh, I suppose. Boxed. Blue. Yeah. Boxed. <laughs> yeah. I'll have the uh, four liter, four gallon box of Ruby Rouge, please. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be three dollars, sir. That's classy, uh, baby. That's, uh, yeah, that's um, uh, places the napkin on the lap when eating. Always. No. Why? I do sometimes, but uh, not all the time. Knows the correct way to pour a bottle of wine. Mm, I don't think I know that one. Where your 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 fingers support the bottom, where your thumb is in the bottom, and the little indent in the bottom of the wine, so you uh, can. No. I'm grabbing it right by the neck and <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> what, what, glug 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 glug. Makes it proper. That's what I want to know. Um, doesn't gossip. I don't know. I stay I, away from that. I don't want to answer that question. <laughs> Here's a weird one. Has great posture. Oh no! Absolutely <laughs> not. I have That's terrible tough. posture. I, I do not have good posture. Not when I'm sitting. Out. You sit all day, and then I sort of just says, "Okay, we're in the number, the top ten here for the overall." Then we'll get quickly to the men and to the women. Number ten doesn't use text speak. So if you're texting someone, you actually text in English. Like you're not using the acronyms and all that. No LOL and all that kind of stuff. I, I, I don't use that stuff. I I'll, I can check that one off. I just I text yeah. like I talk. And that's because of the. Line of work you're in. All right. Yeah, I, t- I text in full sentences, always have. Yeah. Never drink directly from the bottle. <laughs> of what? <laughs> yeah. Of, of what? <laughs> I'm, I'm assuming we're talking about a g- bottle of wine since every other question. Uh, holds doors open. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yes. All right. Doesn't start eating a meal until everyone else at the table has their food. Yep, absolutely. Correct. Yeah. Is discreet. In, Listen, in what? In what? Yeah, that's, <laughs> I, that's I can tell you. Like the stories I could tell you, Mike, about Luke, <laughs> and oh, I've never told whoa, them whoa, on whoa, the air, whoa, so whoa, I can whoa, start whoa. right now. Hey, and then you can put gossip on that. What take are you, the gossip what off are you your talking list? about? Never told them on air. You claim all the time that I have my clothes off behind the glass. <laughs> it's an optical illusion. Uh, <laughs> Knows what cutlery to use. No, no, that's that's, that's yeah, that's an easy that's one. Just out to in. Is it always out to in? Always out to in. You know, it's funny. I get told that by my sister at literally every fancy dinner I go to, and, and it's forget. new to me every time. Doesn't swear. Uh, <laughs> no, no, no. You see, we are in the radio business ah, see, and, I... and the television business, which means that once the mi- because you can't when the microphones are on, once they turn off, well, you you got to get it all out of your no, system. The la- I mean, I I don't. The last time I did was accidental, and it was on this show when I had a mouthful of hamburger and I tried to name a you local di- restaurant. You I- didn't. I went back and checked. Really? You, I thought I did. not oh, so Okay, well, so I don't. I, I don't mind dropping the odd F-bomb from time Ooh. to time. Has good table manners? Yes. Probably not. Is well-read? Yes. Mm. All right, yes. Yeah. Says please and thank you. That's number one. Yes. Yes. Okay, so let's just jump ahead here because we have a couple seconds. Uh, here are the top ten ways to know for uh, for the guys. Okay. Top 10 signs you are a respectful man. 10, wears crisp white shirts. Mike has one on right now. Always smells nice. Yes. Come smell me. Owns a tailor. <laughs> Owns a <No>. tailored suit. <laughs> yes. Uh, I think so. I'm three for three. Knows when to admit he's wrong. Four for four. Has a firm four. handshake. 
I don't know if Come I here. can be the judge yep. of that. No, Mike does. I, I think I do. Takes his hat off when indoors and in the company of women. I don't know anybody who actually wears a hat now. The, like a, a hat hat, a baseball cap. That's, you know, but I guess that counts. I mean, if I'm wearing a baseball cap, yeah, I take it off when I'm indoors, but not in the presence Here's of Here's where we start to get into the serious one. Okay. Stands up when women join the dining table. I can't remember the last time I've done that's that. A, that's yeah, a tough one that's... in our society because now you almost sound sexist if you do that. But it takes pride in his appearance. Yeah, Mike, yep. yes, me, mm, depends. Only only lately am I a yes to that Holds question. Holds the door open for others. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we did that one, yeah. And respectful of women. Yes. Okay. Well, we have some women listening, so here's your top 10 signs. We can't answer any Are of these. Are we allowed to answer these too? Well, it's going to be tough. Can I answer these on behalf of my wife? Uh, you don't, <laughs> some, some of these you won't want to answer. <laughs> is, she, is she listening? She might be. I'll, I'll watch some, the text messages. S- some of these you may want to dance around Okay. Uh, these are top 10 signs of a classy woman. If you're at home playing <laughs> along, here's your questions. 10. Wears dresses that are tight enough to show she's a woman, but loose enough to prove she's a lady. Boy. Uh, <laughs> what do you think? Mike, does your wife wear clothes tight enough to show she's a woman, but I'm loose not, enough you're, to you're, prove she's a lady? I told you. I told you you want to dance around this. Number nine. It stays. I don't know. This is the mirror, I guess. Is Number nine. Reveals cleavage sparingly. I'm a yes to that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I'll grant you. It's the one. whole less is more. <laughs> Uh, doesn't downplay her own intelligence. That's number eight. Mm-hmm. Seven, like the man, always smells nice. Six, doesn't wear heels higher than she can walk in. Isn't that funny? Do you ever see women that can't walk in a pair of heels? There is one of the funniest YouTube videos. <laughs> it was a model in a fashion show. Oh, no. And she ended up doing a speed wobble. <laughs> And started going and <laughs> couldn't get her balance back and her feet were going in and out and, in and out. finally she collapses to the ground and the anchor man watching this, it's in Detroit, if you go look it up, I thought the man was going to have an aneurysm and, and die because he was laughing so hard I thought he was going to yeah. pass out. All right, that's number six. Number five, accepts compliments graciously. All right. Uh, four, like the other one, never drinks directly from the bottle. Three, has confidence. Two, ages gracefully. And one, wears subtle Makeup. Yeah. Any of those? I, 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 I agree with the first one completely. So there's your checklist. You can now determine, based on this anyway, if you are classy. And if you basically had none of those checked off, like <laughs> if you had some, you're on the road. If you had none of those checked off, you got problems. You, you, <laughs> <laughs> you, yeah, I expect you must have had a few. Somebody must have had a few. There could be no one who struck out on that one, could there? I thought I was going to, so I did all right. Yeah, you did all right. You're 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 all class, Luke. Yeah. Well, you're part Let's class. Let's not get crazy. The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900. AM 900 CHML.